thank you all uh, who are here live this evening uh, for being here with us to have this conversation. So um, as you know, we're here in episode four. We want to have a community conversation with black Christian leaders in Northwest Arkansas and with you, our listeners, about how white Christians in Northwest Arkansas have responded to racism. Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, in his letter from Birmingham jail, he didn't go after um, white supremacists. His main issue was with white moderates. Those who just said, I'm just going to sit here, I'm going to take the pragmatic approach, and I'm not going to ruffle any feathers because you need me at the table. I'm saying, again, we need action. We need people to be action. So y'all here, and again, this is passion. This ain't anger. Um, but but if, if, if I'm saying anything, we thank y'all for being here, but, but I pray to God uh, that, that your action won't end with coming through these doors listening to what we're saying. Those of you that are here now and those that are listening later on, but that you will find a way, that you will get with people like Lowell. Don't come ask me. I'm going to send you to Law. I'm going to send you to Doc Courage. I'm going to send you to somebody else because I'm tired of trying to find out a solution to a problem that I, I didn't create. All right. I'm sorry. No need to apologize. Uh, man, I could talk for hours about this question um, because I have a lot of experience uh, with this question. Um, personal, uh, you know, I worked at a white church for uh, over four years here in the area. And before that, you know, I had plenty of experience working in other churches pursuing to be multicultural. Um, uh, man, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like I have a book on my head. I don't know which chapter to open. Um, I think primarily uh, the thing that I see, and I was on the panel with all the pastors, I, um, and I was there when the pastor said I didn't, he didn't want to lose influence, and I had some words for him, you know, after that, about that. Um, the thing that I see time and time and time and time again, um, which is really why I have grown tired of panel discussions, because um, I have been on more of them than I can, you know, keep track of in my mind, is that there's this sense of wanting to do just enough so that um, when someone asks me about it, I can point to this as being my stamp of being different from those other people. Um, but really, when it is behind the scenes, when it comes to actually doing the work that creates the lasting change, what we tend to do is to side with power, convenience, and comfort over doing what is right. And uh, I, I, I think about Matthew 23, where Jesus is, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he says that you're, you confess me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And that it is what I see time and time again from pastors who claim to want to be allies and stand alongside, that they say all the right things on the stage and, and behind the scenes, they do a totally different act. 
that when we talk about sharing the table of power of resources, right, when we start talking about actually creating change in systems, when we talk about actually uh, stepping back and allowing someone else to step forward, that's when the conversation breaks down, that I've seen it over and over and over again. And then what we actually ask is for our black brothers and sisters to keep putting themselves on the altar, right, to educate us, right, to uh, demonstrate their own hurt and trauma for us. Um, to convince us to do what should not have to be persuaded. That if we are people who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we read it, if we read it and take Jesus at his word, then what we are asking people to do should come naturally. Like when we talk about in, in Luke 10, where Jesus is talking about loving the Lord your God with your all and loving your neighbor as yourself, it immediately says that, and then these men seeking to justify themselves, right, says, who is my neighbor, right? And immediately what we see in our own conscience that is very important for us is that whenever we are, when we are always confronted with the moral dilemma, that our our instinct is to go and try to justify ourselves. To try to say, you know, I'm not racist. I don't hold those feelings. I didn't participate in this work. I, I participated in this conversation. I read this book. I went to that prayer vigil. I went on that march. But I did nothing that actually moved the needle. That actually changes the lived reality for black and brown people. Right? And so at the end, and so this is what I say. Like, all of that is a net zero, right? I worked in the church, prying teeth, pushing, right? People to do the real work. And four years later, a net zero. Because at the end of the day, people have to be willing to lose something, right? If you follow Jesus, Jesus says you have to be willing to lose everything, including your life. But somehow we've believed in an American church that I can somehow follow Jesus, hold on to everything, power, money, wealth, influence, and still be faithful to Jesus, still love people the way he called it. And that, those things cannot live in the same space. They can't occupy the same ideal because they are contradictory to one another. And so brothers and sisters who claim that they want to pursue racial justice what are you willing to lose over the course of your life to bring about what you claim you want to see? And oftentimes, if we are honest, our white brothers and sisters keep telling us nothing. I will sacrifice an hour out of my day to come and listen to you, and then I will go home, check that off my box mentally, and come back to it when something else pops off that brings it back to my remembrance. But on the day-to-day -day sacrificial rhythm of my life, I give nothing. And so that is what has to change. That's what I've seen from, my, from fellow pastors. I've sat in many conversations with them, one-on-one, -on -one, right? And it is the same thing. And so people will choose power 
choose influence, choose everything over laying themselves down to do what's right. And, and that's the heartbreaking thing. That's the frustrating thing. That's what causes my brothers and sisters on the stage right, to have so much frustration that's felt. Like this whole last year of my life has been me trying to heal from some of that trauma that I've experienced, trying to do work in spaces for people who want the front view of doing what's right, but not actually doing anything to change. Can I say one more thing? Go for it. So today, uh, as I was thinking about the panel, I was really thinking about my own life on some things. Um, but then I was thinking about this. Um, oftentimes, what we do here on a very consistent basis is what can we do to help? What can we do to move that needle? Um, I'm, and, and maybe somebody here today or somebody listening will, will be like, yo, um, I, don't, I don't have that same type of power. I don't have that same type of influence. I don't, I'm not in leadership at my church or whatever the case may be. And um, the Lord just honestly took me to Exodus this morning. Um, I think it was Exodus chapter 2, 2 or 3. And um, when, when God calls Moses from that bush, Moses in a very similar way, uh, has a task of leading his people from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. And Moses asked God, like, what am I going, what, what, what happens if they don't listen? What, what am I going to do? And <laughs> I thought it was dope. God simply said, what's in your hand? That what God requires from all of us for action is for us to use what's at our disposal. Um, and so, no, you may not have millions of dollars. If you do, let your boy hold like five, you know. <laughs> let me just put that out there real quick. Um, but, but, but the truth of the matter is we all can do something. We, we, we refer to Paul. Paul talks about the body of Christ. The eye can't be the leg. The hand can't be the ear. Um, can't be the mouth. Can't be the nose. We all have a specific duty um, and when the body and each instrument and each member of the body functions according to how it's supposed to function, then you have a healthy body. The moment that your ear or your nose decides, I don't want to smell, or your ear says, I don't hear, your body instantly becomes dysfunctional, becomes diseased or, or handicapped. For your words. Um, and right now we're happy. We, I we think have that's a good transition, Stephen, to um, some comments and our last question. Um, about what we want to see. What do we want, how do we want to see white Christians in Northwest Arkansas respond to racism? So my, my comments. In his June 2020 Christianity Today article, Justice Too Long Delayed, Timothy Dalrymple supported reparations, suggested that white Christians invest in what he called Zacchaeus funds, to fund black Christian leaders, and he cited one such fund in Atlanta. So I'll, I'll preface this. This is not the way. There, there are many ways to repair uh, truth, wealth, power. Um, we have a whole world to repair. Um, so please don't hear this as, as the way, but, but a way. One thing that I want to see um, is to, to work with black Christian leaders like yourselves uh, to start a Zacchaeus fund 
in Arkansas. I, I want to see white Christian leaders, folks in the pulpit, some of whom have revenues of $500,000 annually, others of whom have revenues of $5 million annually, uh, invest in the fund. And if white Christian leaders will not invest in the fund, then I want to see white Christian followers, folks like myself, folks in the pews, stop tithing to their white churches and start tithing to the fund instead. Now, I'll say that <laughs> that fund doesn't exist today, okay? So we're, we're using our imagination a little bit, all right? Um, but that is, that is one thing that I want to see. Um, so with that, um, how do you all want to see white Christians in Northwest Arkansas respond to racism? I think in, in a picture-perfect world, that would be wonderful, ideal. Um, I think, um, I mean, I don't want to be a pessimist. Is that realistic? I don't think so. Um, I think we still have a long road to hoe uh, um, before we get there. Um, I think the concern I have, which I am a strong proponent of reparations, whether it be in the church um, or just universally, I think whatever level you're talking, I think um, there is the complicity abounds. Now, if you ask me where we start, I think we start at the government first. Uh, then we work our way down. I think you start government, then I think you start with businesses, um, then probably the church, but all of them gave their blessing. Um, um, then the next problem I think I would have is are we talking reparations with conditions or reparations without conditions? Because inevitably and invariably, it always seems that our freedom as black people, black Americans, has always been tied with some sort of condition. And I'm just tired of that. So if we're talking reparations for Chris, it's got to be, even if it's with the church, if it's a Zacchaeus fund, it's got to be a reparations tied without condition. I think the black church is mature enough and has matriculated enough that we know what we need and can do. Um, so th that would be my take um, on it. Um, if you're talking purely racism from a systemic standpoint to dismantle structures, um, that would be my take. Uh, I have a kind of a multi-layered answer to that question. Um, I start by saying that we live in, uh, for the most part, a, a hedonistic society, that we pursue pleasure, right? Happiness, gratification. 
right? And the things that we value, we put our time and energy behind are the things that make us feel good. Um, uh, there's a, the, at the end of uh, Oscar Wilde's life, uh, he's on his deathbed and his wife um, is standing there and they had a host of uh, adopted children and he asked those children, he asked his wife about the children. He says, did you love any of them for their own sake? And the wife said to him, I don't believe that I did. And it is the reality of his own selfishness mused as love that he realized that he had never really loved anyone or anything other than himself. And my first call to uh, the white church and white Christians is to authentically love something other than yourself. That if you are going to move and act simply to alleviate your own guilt or to feel good about your actions, then I would rather them not be there because holistically that transforms nothing. My hope is, is that you would see black people as truly valuable and love them enough to truly give of yourself in ways that you would not give if it was only to scratch the itch of guilt and shame or to make yourself feel good. That means moving beyond charity into full engagement, right? That there is the respiratory act of, of actually coming in making amends with my hands and with my resources. When we see the story of the Good Samaritan, he picks him up and helps heal his wounds on his own, then he takes him to the end, right? Are we bringing all of ourselves to this? Normally, when we don't really care about something, right, and we're not really invested in it, we'll, we'll write a check and think nothing of it. Some of us have the means and resources to write checks for big amounts, right, and not be affected by it, right? No, we, we need you to be affected by it. And so I'm asking people to really give of themselves, right? Give of your resources, your time, your presence, right, in the places that they need to be, right? Uh, calling for the change that needs to happen. Giving to the places where there is need and where, and lending our hands, the hand of repair to the things that are broken. And so um, that, that is what I need to see um, happen. And there's people who have great ways in, that you can give and to support. And again, I, 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 I uh, piggyback on what Chris said about uh, the lack of condition, right? Do I trust the skillfulness, the expertise of black leaders to care about their own people in their own communities and willing to get behind them to do the work? Historically, what we have seen is a lot of heroism, right? People who see 
the brokenness and fractures in these communities, believing that there's a leadership vacuum and that there's not people skilled and equipped to do the work themselves, go in trying to do the work without context, without relationships, without rootedness, and cannibalizing the work of grassroots people who have been there for generations. That is not what we need to see. What we need to see are people who are committed to this work actually getting into the community and knowing who the leaders are and the stakeholders are and supporting those leaders to do the work that's already there, right? We have a paradigm for that. If we look at Acts, right, when the widows, right, <laughs> the Greek widows were in need, right, the Jewish widows of the church, uh, um, elders of the church in this hop in and say, hey, I know how to solve the issue, right? What did they do? Right, they went and got Hellenistic elders of the church and say, hey, we need your help to solve this problem. And they got behind them. That is the kind of movement and work we need in our community. Right, there's plenty of people doing a lot of great work. And if you don't know who they are, you can come ask me and ask anybody else on the stage. But hop in all the way or don't hop in at all. Right, because we really need to move the needle. I don't want to keep having these conversations 10 years from now. So, um, this was a difficult question for me to um, think on and to answer. And I'm, I'm almost, well, I'm, I'm like Chris, um, that I'm not, a, I'm not pessimistic about it, but I, I really am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but I am. I know that's 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 weird, right? But but that's kind of why we're having this conversation. Like some people is like, "Yo, I won't change," but the actions have shown us that you really don't. Um, and so, when I think about like what would Ivy want to see, it's almost I was really thinking. So I love how Zacchaeus keeps coming up because that's I was thinking about him too, and I hadn't read the book. Um, but I just I know that Zacchaeus, after seeing Jesus and being invited and and Jesus inviting himself into Zacchaeus's house, Z Zacchaeus says, yo, I'm 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 sorry. And I'm, I'm going to show you how sorry I am that that if I've wronged anybody, which was kind of a little problematic, but we'll let Zacchaeus go. Um, uh, but he said, yo, if I if I wronged anybody, I'm going to give it back and extra. Um, and and that's, of course, what we want to see. Um, that's what I want to see. Um, but, but what does it, it, it really look like to me? Um, almost like your project, and I'm not asking you to take your tithes away um, and give it to the Zacchaeus pro project, which when it happens, because it, it will happen, I think that's a great idea. I say take your feet and move away from your church um, and strip these guys of their power. Um, and I, I wish I could call names, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but just know, if it was just Stephen Ivy up here, <laughs> I would call some names because I, I just, I'm at that point where, where for stuff to change. But, but y'all think about, think about the predominant white churches in, in Northwest Arkansas, and there you have your answers: who these pastors are. Um, think about how many times you've seen them post or say something very specific to what's going on, and then you know who we're talking about. So what's, 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 uh, what's understood don't have to be said, right? Don't have to be explained. But what I would like to see, um, personally, I would like to stop seeing, uh, and I'm, I'm just speaking from Stephen Ivey, and this ain't no call to come join our church, but this is what I'm saying. I would like to stop seeing white folks only come here um, 
when when something like when we're having these panels, I would like to see, I would like to see um, our white brothers and sisters come alongside our church. There are other black churches, so what to pick your black church? It's, it's many around here, um, but to partner in the work to get it done. You feel what I'm saying? Kind of like what Dustin said. It's not just coming alongside us. Um, when something happens, or even Monique um, does a great job. She she runs our food pantry that is like killing the game in Northwest Arkansas. Do you hear me? Um, but it's not just coming to Monique on Tuesdays or Mondays or whenever. And Monique, I'm not taking away her help. She wants your help, right? She wants your help. But it's it's not coming to do that one or two or three days out of the week to give yourself a pat on the back and feel like you did something. It's to get engrossed. And it's being willing, as Dustin said, that's why I let him speak, because I'm going to stop talking after a while. It's, it's to be willing to give up something to come alongside with your black brothers and sisters and be, uh, be comfortable being discomfortable or uncomfortable. Be comfortable in discomfort. Why do I say that? And I, I, I'm coming to my clothes. See, y'all got to get used to this. When you're around black folk, when you're around black folk, the black preacher's going to give you like three or four clothes. I'm on my third or fourth clothes, Jeff. Here we go. Uh, and and I, I'll say this. Y'all don't know her name, so I'll say this. Um, when I first came back to our church in 2018, we had a white uh, church administrator. And she was great. She did a, a wonderful job. She was excellent. I, I liked her. Um, but she did not learn how to grow comfortable being uncomfortable. She didn't learn to be comfortable in discomfort. So what she perceived as attitude and short shortness was just black folk being black folk, but because she didn't try to really get ingrained and understand the culture, she left and called all our church, all our church members racist, blocked us on Facebook and everything, and spoke bad about us. Um, I'm saying what what I would like to see personally is is uh, is is white folk come alongside. I keep saying this: come alongside, do the work, and be comfortable getting getting messy. Why do I say that? Because most of the time, it's easy for black people to say that because we've done it all our lives. My black people in here, wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. You live in Northwest Arkansas, and you know what it's like to have to code switch. You know what it's like to leave your, what my uh, professor, uh, Dr. Naja Baptist, shout out to him, what my professor calls AAV, African American Vernacular. You know what it's like to leave that at the door and put your proper voice on and speak with all the big words and, you know, put your hallelujahs in on and all of that kind of stuff. I'm saying that it's now time for white people to experience what black people have had to do for, for the, the, the balance of this country's history is get comfortable assimilating to black culture. back in on what Stephen was saying about pessimism and, and to be honest I, I do have a a real pessimism and it's just because of the context that does exist so 
as an example, the Southern Baptist Convention in 2020 had net receipts of $11.5 billion. $11.5 billion. The Catholic Church owns the most real estate of any organization in the world. So if we're really being honest about making a quick turn and we're talking about reparations and making a quick turn, if, if, if the problem really wanted to be solved, it could be solved quickly. If the United States government was truly serious, if they really wanted to solve reparations for black Americans, if they truly wanted to give us reparations, the problem can be solved in an instance if, it's, if it wanted to be solved. So that's why I have the level of pessimism that I have. There's just not the desire there um, that I have seen. But I'm not saying that I'm not hopeful. You know, the Bible does teach us sometimes you hope against hope. And that teaches us faith. Um, and so, but also know that sometimes, again, that's why God does lift up prophets like a low that he is called into a context that helps folks to see um, the need. I'll just real quick say, <laughs> hey, y'all hear me? I'm muted. Um, I preached a sermon not too long ago, Reverend Chris C. Wood, um, and it was titled Courage to Hope. Um, and thank God I, because some days are harder than others, some moments are harder than others to um, have courage to hope. But I have courage to hope. Why? Because I serve an all-powerful, all-knowing God, a God of love, a God of justice, a God of righteousness. Um, and racism, white supremacy, prejudice, none of that is too big for my God. None of it. Um, are there moments where that's challenging? Yes. Are there days? Yes. When I turn on the news and there's another killing? Yes. Um, but praise God, I, I maintain courage to hope. And, and speaking to my black brothers and sisters right now, we have to maintain courage to hope. Um, the work done by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was not in vain. Um, the work done by Fannie Lou Hamer and, and Ida B. Wells, it was not in vain. Um, one of the things um, that was discussed on, on the podcast episode two, because I did listen a little, um, Greg Thompson says, what you do about racism is determined by what you think racism is. And that's so true. If you think that racism is simply an attitude or just a heart condition, if you don't view it, and, and, I'm, and I say that racism and white supremacy, if you don't view that as a sin, I'm praying for you for a heart change because I believe that that heart change can only come from the power of God, Jesus. 
the gospel. It's big enough for this thing. And we as the body of Christ have to get it together. Those who profess to be Christ's followers, those who profess a belief in Jesus, we have to get it together. The world should not reflect more compassion and love than we do, y'all. That should not be. But it is right now. It is. And so to answer your question, Lowell, of what can be done, y'all, the solution's right there in our face. Stop pretending like you don't know what the solution is. Stop pretending like I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. God has given you a brain. He has given you his spirit. If you believe in him, if you have professed him as your savior and received the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know what to do. I remember meeting with Lowell, and Lowell said, I, I, I got to start somewhere. I, I'm, I, I'm doing something. I, and you remember what I said to you? I said, Lowell, when you wake up in the morning, do you think about it? Before you fall asleep, do you think about it? And he said, yes. I said, then that's your job. And I say that to you all listening. You wake up in the morning, you think about it. Before you lay your head down, do you think about it? Then it's your job. Some of you all out there, I'm sorry to say, you don't think about it. You're not burdened with it. You don't care because it does not affect you. It does not affect your life. And that's fine. That's, <laughs> that's fine. There were people just like that walking amongst when Jesus was here, that walked amongst the Savior who felt nothing, who were not concerned, and did not want to give up their power. They did not want to deny themselves to follow Jesus. We know the solution. So get to work. That's all for part two of a community conversation with black Christian leaders in Northwest Arkansas about how white Christians in Northwest Arkansas have responded to racism. You can contact me at reparationsnownwa at gmail.com. Thanks. No one escapes heaven's justice unpaid. Have mercy now.